Listeners be advised. The Holiloquy podcast discuss matters related to the human experience and many that are sexual in nature. Due to this, some conversations may surround triggering topics such as sexual violence, self-harm, abuse, and much more. Please be advised, a list of crisis and psychological resources will be available in the show notes of this episode. With that said, let's get started with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention please as we go through the following safety instructions. In the event that there is a loss of cabin pressure, oxygen mask will drop from the overhead. Place the mask over your nose and mouth. Breathe normally as oxygen is flowing even if the mask is not Be sure to adjust your own mask before helping others. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to the Holiloquy Podcast, where we step out and speak on sexuality. This is your favorite host, Vernon T. Scott, also known as Slater Jackson, and for you freaky motherfuckers out there, Sebastian Adams. On today's episode, we are discussing parent, uh, oh Lord, Planned Parenthood. Now, not necessarily organization, just things that surround planning for, you know, parenthood or be- becoming a parent, adoption, all this other stuff. A generalized statement. But on this episode, I am blessed to have Tyrell back on the podcast. I promise y'all I'm going to be better this episode. Shit, whatever. How are you doing today, good sir? I am doing well, and you are doing a wonderful job. So oh, don't, you know, always, always, you know, don't be don't be hard on yourself at all. I try not to be, but I'm a bitch myself. It's okay. I'm going to just chew myself out a little bit later. <laughs> but life is good because I, I I can take myself. So look, I could dish whatever I throw out there to myself. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, that's just, that is just how things got to be. Exactly. Now, now Tyrell, um, because, you know, this is season two and whatnot. Uh, and, you know, we're easing people back into the podcast. Do you mind reintroducing yourself uh, to everybody? Let them know about you, all the great things that you're doing. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So for all, everybody that's new out there, hello, I am Tyrell Collins. I am uh, based here in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. You're about 25 minutes outside of Atlanta, but that's, you know, major place where everybody knows. Um, I'm a uh, doctoral student uh, that I'm in English. I have a focus in Black, queer, and trans studies. So uh, very excited about that. And yeah, I've just always enjoyed uh, the nature of bringing um, my um, my perspective and insights uh, from, you know, a humanities type of perspective and really engaging in uh, topics that um, affect you know, our, our communities, uh, especially. So very always, I'm always glad to be here. We love to have you with us. Well, as I said, today we will be talking about Planned Parenthood. So the first thing I wanted to uh, discuss is just, it's expensive out here, y'all. Expensive means expensive for y'all who are new to the scene. So it is extremely expensive. So what are some of the expenses that you know of that related to having a family? Uh, we know like rent, uh, you know, rent, 
<laughs> Let's not go into rent. Oh my God, rent is way like, too damn high. Oh, like I'm like this is gonna be a depression. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, look. Probably when this episode uh, airs, it's going to be the first of the fucking month. Is somebody club like Vernon? Why the fuck did you have to remind me that I have a bill that I have to pay? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ooh. That rent affects everybody, y'all. Yeah. But what are some of the expenses uh, that you know of in terms of like having a family and whatnot? Yeah. Um, so yeah, in having a family, like there's a lot to even just consider before, you know, you have a child through whatever means that is, of course. Um, like, like something that a lot of people don't plan for is like, if you are planning like to raise a baby from the nature of being a baby in infancy, you have to get on the nature of where you want to put them in school. Like, like as soon as they're born because like the like the list to get into daycare and preschool and all of those type things like it's a long like it's a long ass waiting list <laughs> and so that was something I did not know um also just if you are planning to and I'm going to speak on both halves of this um one I do want to just throw it out there that I am not a parent uh, I don't particularly like children, but, um, <laughs> you know, I do know, I do know enough people who do have children that, you know, I think I can provide, provide some insight. Um, if you do plan to, um, you know, raise a child or preteen or teenager or anything like that, you know, by yourself, really think about um, why, really assess why you're, you're having a child in the first place or bringing someone you know into your home or having them biologically or by whatever means that you're doing it um and make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons Mm. um a lot of times i find that for when it comes to parenthood a lot of people just want someone to love them Mm. because they they may be going through any number of things and i'm not saying that that has to be looked at in a negative view but if all you're doing is uh, wanting to bring someone else into your home, especially a child, just for them to love you, it's going to be a recipe for, you know, some trouble as the years go on. Um, if you are coupled or partnered, make sure that you and your partner are on the, you know, on the same page or the same wavelength about the values that you want to bring into of having a family. Um, I think a lot of times that conversations, you know, don't tend to happen until, you know, children are already here. So just to give a very prime example, do you want your child to be raised in the church? Mm. You know, that's, sometimes it's a conversation that a lot, a lot of parents, you know, they have. And even if you and your partner have had conversations about, hey, you know, you have one partner that may be involved with the church. You may have someone that, you know, may not, or, you know, it does not even, you know, believe in the nature of, of organized religion or what have you. You know, you kind of work that out in your space of your relationship as to say, like, oh, we agree to disagree or, you know, we just mainly may not talk about it. But when it comes to raising a child, that is going to be a point of contention because you can foster and navigate your feelings. But how are you going to facilitate and manage it with that, you know, with that child? So that's just a prime example. So just making sure that you're having conversations about what does actually having a family to you look like? You know, are you some type, are you the type of person that, hey, you want to create that just like they have the power couples? You're trying to create that power dynamic family. Does your partner want that? You know, like, you know, so it's like, there's just a lot of things, but I think at the basis of it, there's just a lot to consider about what do you envision or see as far as having a family goes. And I think like your the advice that you just provided is what a lot of people need to hear 
for one. But it's like a, a lot of people do not sit down to have that conversation before they get into the family planning side of things because it's either, okay, a motherfucker is pregnant or uh, I, I will say at least when it comes to adoption, um, you have that opportunity to like prepare for that outside of a in within family type of adoption situation because I've seen some of that and uh, experienced that personally on how that can uh, impact a family. But it's like whenever you are um getting to that point or if you are pregnant now it are the real times to like think about what are your finances going to look like what it what does it mean to add another body into this um this situation uh how do we plan on raising them what resources are we going to make sure that they have available to them Mm -hmm. and then you have to factor in okay um, what if my child has a learning disability? Do I know how to manage that? Or if they uh, have a physical, mental, or any other type of disability that might hinder them or their accessibility uh, with others uh, in their class or in their age group, uh, how do you focus on that? Uh, what can I do to ensure that my child has a loving family and uh to come home to whenever they're not at, at school or right. whenever they're not in public how can i facilitate that for them and without having those kind of discussions early on i, I get a lot of parenting is as you go <laughs> because you never know what tomorrow is going to bring or what the next five minutes are going to bring whenever you do have another live being in your home No, I was just going to say, and even when it comes to having a family, like obviously for, um, you know, uh, you know, people who are of the queer community, obviously, um, if you are same gender loving or, you know, any any of, you know, in that retrospect, you have no choice but to have, uh, you know, go through options of adoption or surrogacy. So you automatically have to think about different ways to have a family. So I want to put this message out here specifically speaking to uh, more of, I guess, my heterosexual men that are, you know, or, you know, men that are involved with women, should I say, mm-hmm. as to say that men, you, we have to do better about recognizing the scares that a lot of our women have about childbirth mm. and also taking into account when you are wanting to become a father, you have to think about, well, what if I, what if that can't happen through, you know, biological or traditional means? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times when men think about fatherhood, you just think about that traditional way. Like I'm going to, you know, perhaps meet a woman. We're going to, you know, not necessarily necessarily get married, but, you know, ha- you know, give birth, you know, a natural way. Well, what if, you know, you, the woman that you're seeking to have a child with, what if she has a high risk of pregnancy, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, something, you know, is of high risk in her, in her bloodline or in her, in her family. So I just, you know, I want to put that message out there to anyone that's, you know, specifically men, because we tend to have tunnel vision when it comes to certain things. So we can only think about having a family in one way. So just, I just want to put that out there to the, to the men to, if you are someone that is thinking about, you know, having a family, regardless of single or coupled or partnered to really think about, um, this may have to, what if this has to happen in different, in a different, in a different means or different circumstance, would I actually be open to that? Mm. And uh, I, I will have to say it. 
um, because you know uh, I don't mind saying this, but I am very happy that I do not have to give birth. I am extremely happy and grateful Uh, oh yeah no because um, for those who are able to um, give birth and choose to do that, more no. power to you. Your, the nah, strength that yeah. you have is amazing because um, being pregnant changes your entire body. Oh my God, your entire your physiology changes. Like yep. I've heard of situations where um, a woman had no allergies before having a baby and then became allergic to uh, something completely random. And I'm just like, <laughs> how the fuck does that happen? Like you gave birth to a child, not like, no, it's crazy. The, your, yeah. um, no, I, I commend, yeah. I commend bringing life into the world. I commend bringing life into the world. Like, no, cause like no. there's been some situation cir- circumstances where I, you know, known the person for like years seen them on a regular basis they're pregnant i'm like who the fuck is this person like who are like the facial structures change like there was literally a friend i did not recognize like she posted a picture online i'm like okay congratulations who is that like why are you posting her on your page like girl what's going on (laughs) and i'm going back and i'm like oh shit that's her well congratulations girl but like there's changes to yeah. the body that really does happen that people don't think about. Right. Actually, you know, one of my most irrational fears is to actually be, and this is like morbid, but like when I've told this story, they're like, oh, people are like, oh yeah, that's like a legit fear to have. Like one of my greatest fears is to be trapped in an elevator with someone pregnant. The Holiloquy podcast focuses on the variability of sexual expression. When it comes to sexual expression, we often depend on pornography to illustrate how one must perform sexually. For those who have not learned this by now, the stuff you see in porn is not real. Pornography provides a singular perspective of sexual expression that is not often the reality we see during our own sexual encounters. The Holiloquy Podcast is a conversation that takes you outside of the compressed box of what many know about sex. Some of the topics we discuss include kinks, condom usage, status disclosure, and past sexual experiences. The Holiloquy Podcast steps out on sexual norms and recognizes that the norm is not the only normal. Subscribe today and join the conversation. A legit fear to have. Like one of my greatest fears is to be trapped in an elevator with someone pregnant Mm. because my mind just goes to like the worst case like scenarios like what happens if this person goes into birth it goes into labor like if i'm the only one here we're gonna be in for some trouble (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's that's a legitimate fear though yeah i'm like i don't know you know maybe i'll you know rise to the occasion but i'm just like no i i have a legit fear of being in elevators with pregnant people just imagine if it was more than one. Oh, that is kind of scary because it's just like, what, what, what do I, what am I supposed to do? Okay, call nine one one. I call them. What's next? What the fuck do I do next? Dude, Listen yeah, to them. Like, I'm supposed to snip what? Okay. It's like no, like I'm not trying to go south of the equator. Like you know, <laughs> like no. Uh, just whipping a little bit of puss. That's all. Just a little bit. Of like, uh, and, <laughs> and, 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 like this is a, and it's not even really even that. It's like just the messiness of it. Like oh, they would have me to pass out. Like, for, I would probably be one of those people that I would just pass out. Oh, you don't want to see the placenta? Oh. <laughs>
<laughs> we don't we don't touch the placenta around here i understand yeah but you know okay. it's like but like you know i know you know they talk a lot about how childbirth is beautiful and things like that and you know i you know i i don't i've never you know i will never be in a position to give birth but you know i do believe that you know welcoming all children into the world is you know a wonderful you know wonderful thing but it's like the the physicalness of it no like we need to stop that narrative no <laughs> look i'm not here for it i support those who do it again i, I yeah. have i i love i love what the what equipment i was born with and yeah. i i don't want i don't want no. but love you know but it's, also, but it's also like i love the fact that apparently i was an easygoing child like i've talked with my mom you know a lot back when she was pregnant with me she was like no i had a relatively you know easy pregnancy even when she went into like even when she went into labor like she went into labor early that morning i was born like a couple hours later Uh-oh. you know so she didn't really stay in the hospital too long, you know, like I, like she, you know, for her being of short stature, you know, it's like I had, you know, she, she didn't have to go through hours of, you know, hours on hours of labor, you know, so I was a, I was a, I was an easy baby. Oh, of course. So of I'm course. like, you know. <laughs> So look, as a message to out there, if you don't know the circumstances of how you were born, ask, 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 and then if you were complicated, just apologize. True. But look, there, from the, just apologize. There are, I've seen it, there are some uh, parents who are frustrated with their children because of how complicated the pregnancy was. Like, yeah. it, it's, like you was a difficult baby. Like, this is a whole as adult <laughs> now. It's yeah. been... 25 years let it go but i get it i get it i get it yeah and and sometimes it terrifies the life out of you like one of my uh a good family friend of um a good family friend of mine like i know this through you know talk but like she like my mom only has one son and she's and my mom you know she kind of told me at some point like her you know this person um she did not want to have any more children because the birth of her first child, like not necessarily almost killed her, but you know, it scared her to mm. no end. And so she was like, Oh yeah, one, one and I'm done. <laughs> like no. Yeah. yeah. And same how my mom was, even though I was an easy, you know, birth, it was kind of like, but you know, my mom always had, by the time I got to a certain age, she was like, no, if this, you know, if I'm not, you know, in a circumstance to, you know, want to have more children, you know, for what she wanted of her life, she was like, no. Hmm. like that so i'm an only child of my mom so yeah I, I fuss with it like mm, I, more power to my mom because she pushed two of those of my little motherfuckers out me and my brother <laughs> <laughs> i love i just call motherfuckers <laughs> but you know whatever i i know i know my brother was difficult i was a sweet child mm. I was horrible, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I was loved. I was very loved. That's all that matters. But um, so it, in addition to the expenses, because um, this is one of the things that I've. So when it comes to the sex conversation, hmm. I'm a firm believer that 
parents should have the responsibility or should hold themselves accountable to having these conversations with their children rather than allowing the school system to do so. However, the school system should be there to provide a comprehensive uh, approach to sex education uh, for their students if it's needed or for those parents who are not comfortable with having that conversation with their children in an equitable way. Right. I also believe parents should be a part of those conversations so that they're equipped with the proper tools to handle these conversations at home if that's something that they decide to do. What are your views on um, sex education in that sense, as well as your experience with sex education here in Georgia? Yeah, so I am actually a a firm believer that um, I don't, you know, I, I don't believe that parents should prescribe labels onto their children's identities, you know, when they, especially when they're young, especially like the sexual orientation and, you know, things like that, because I get it from a parent perspective, you want to know how to help. And the only way you know how to help is what you see through media and things like that, that are adult. So, you know, um, you know, if you have, you know, colleagues or, you know, friends like that, that, that are openly queer, you know, that's wonderful, but you don't need to you know, prescribe those labels onto your child because children, one, are very impressionable. And two, you do not need to be telling a three, four, five-year-old child, you know, like, oh, you know, because you like little Susie, like, you must be, you like, you know, those are like, you know, must be gay. Like, you know, like, you know, it's okay. Like, it's okay. Like, almost pacifying it because children's identities, especially even for adults, you know, our identities go through so many transformations. So my aspect is that when it comes to orientation, be of a support to your child, be inquisitive, ask questions. It's like, oh, so why do you like little Rodney? Like, you know, tell me more, you know, like be inquisitive, you know, about things. And so, yeah, I really don't, I really don't agree with prescribing labels onto children, first and foremost. I do believe that we do need more comprehensive sex education. And um, someone that I do, you know, in the nature of this talk, do want to promote is um, a uh, sex educator um, who goes by the name of uh, Nadine Thornhill. Uh, she is a Black woman um, who um, actually counsels uh, parents on how to have um, sex talks, you know, with your children. And of course, she has a lot of other, you know, kind of YouTube segments that she does, um, you know, some that are funny, you know, but are, you know, taken very seriously in certain light. So uh, one that I will kind of highlight and just to kind of like sum this up, you know, she's saying that, you know, when you're trying to teach your child about autonomy, like body parts, you know, of certain things to do and not to do. And it's kind of like reteaching yourself as well, you know, so it's good to ask, you know, children, like ask what parts of our body that are different colors, textures, you know, uh, body parts can come in different numbers. So teaching your child that not everybody has two arms or two legs, you may have some people who don't have any legs or don't have, or they may just have one arm, or, you know, something like that. Um, Also, one of her big suggestions is to not gender body parts. Like not all boys have penises. Not all girls have a vulva. And so this actually avoids a lot of confusion down the line, especially when they meet other people who don't subscribe, you know, to those, you know, to those aspects. Um, So yeah, like, like, and I like how she puts it, like children know they have genitals. All we're telling them 
in like, like I would say maybe around like the first grade or something when you're having this kind of conversation, like children know they have genitals. All we're telling them is that they also have names to them. So, you know, it's one of those things. And that's like one of her like early videos that, you know, she talks about. But yeah, I do think that children need to have very comprehensive sex education. And that is a part of sex education, like identifying body, body parts. <clears throat> like, and, you know, and I say for parents who want to shy away from these conversations, it's like, children are very curious and they get curious the younger they are so the more you have these talks with them at a younger age it doesn't it, it won't make it you know awkward or you know feel weird as they're coming of age because then you start talking about different um aspects um as far as like sex education here in georgia i can't really speak about what goes on now but i can speak a little bit about what my experience was and Basically, it was almost non-existent. Like we had, like, <laughs> like of course, like I coming up, like I knew the biology of mm -hmm. sex. You know, like I knew where babies came from and things like that. But I was not taught, you know, at a preteen, moving into a teenage, moving into teenage years, thinking about puberty and all of that. I I wasn't taught that sex was also about pleasure. I didn't actually learn that until adulthood. Mm. Um, and so I didn't have sexual, a comprehensive sex education, you know, kind of class or anything. We had health class and pretty much the only things that we covered about sex was like uh, making sure you use a condom and STDs. Yeah. That was pretty much the extent of, you know, what we talked about in health class. So there was there was no kind of, uh, you know, making sure that you let's talk about consent. Mm. let's talk about various aspects of just what it means to be sexually healthy be sexually empowered um you know and things like that you know because I think that they feel like if you talk about those things it's just going to give kids license to do it however that's really not true exactly. because then kids are going to do what they want to do anyway and would you rather them know and be able to make informed decisions rather than them not know. And then they're out here being, you know, being taken advantage of or, you know, not making those informed decisions. So, again, I can only imagine from a parent sort of perspective, like, oh, my God, no, it cringes me to talk to my child about, you know, sex at any age, you know, but it's kind of like we have to, I think, also give our parents or our guardians support. And letting them know, like, there are different kinds of conversations you can have. Like, you don't have to have necessarily explicit conversations. Mm -hmm. um, one particular instance that was being raised, I read an article one time, particularly about how to talk to young boys about sex. You know, it's a very stereotype that a lot of young men, all they want is sex. That's really actually not true. Um, however, they're socially conditioned to believe that, oh, like, I need to have sex, you know, in order to be proven that I'm a man or, you know, something like that. And so this article was highlighting the fact if you actually talk to young men about their vocabulary and language that surrounds not just sex, but intimacy with other people, you know, that can socialize them very differently as to make them responsible autonomy of our own bodies, because that's also something I believe is a stereotype and something that I believe growing up that we had a lot of talks. And I do agree that we need to have a lot of talks about, you know, identifying women, you know, coveting, you know, the nature of, you know, the body and respect. But we never had talks about young men coming up about respecting, you know, 
their bodies and themselves. Exactly. And we get into this, you know, double standard, you know, stereotype that, oh, if a, you know, young woman is out here, you know, having sex, you know, if it gets around, she's a hoe. And, you know, it's expected for guys to engage in multiple sex partners. And I always just had that double standard in my mind. I'm like, because I'm like, if you're up here calling someone else a hoe, what does that make you? Exactly. <laughs> you know. Exactly. So, yeah. So it's just a lot of double standards that I think a lot of people especially parents they bring into, you know, households, raising kids as far as, you know, parenthood. And yeah, a lot of things just need to be retooled. And there and just don't believe that you're alone. There's a lot of resources out here now, Mm -hmm. especially as we're getting more into guidance counselors, sex educators. There's a lot of resources out here for you to broach to have the conversation. Exactly. And feel free to, you know, reach out to Vernon, you know, I can probably help y'all out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Or grab a book, you know, but um, definitely send me that link to uh, her YouTube page so I can add that to show notes and whatnot. Um, And I do like that you brought up the concept of, you know, how um, men are socialized um, because there are, there is that belief that men always want sex, even though we don't. And then uh, even with that, um that mindset how that belief has been used to coerce uh, men into having sex when they did not want to Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that's not often talked about or even um body autonomy in general uh for everybody we don't talk about that and what that looks like uh especially not for men now um I will say one of the things that I challenge people to do, most definitely those people who are uncomfortable with talking about sex or even uh, exploring that um, with, you know, their children so that they can have a more robust or more um, educational background related to sex outside of that absence only or uh, fear-based model that we have here in Georgia or uh, in other states as well is... Um understand why you have an issue with sex and the reason I say um phrase it that way is because there's a lot of people who are operating with repressed sexual traumas or even uh known sexual traumas that they're experiencing and they project that onto other people or they uh avoid the topic of sex so that they don't either trigger themselves or um bring up those memories about whatever happened to them or what they were feeling at that moment. And we have to get to a point, most definitely with therapy or whatnot, where people are able to get past those moments so that it can be a benefit to whoever they choose to raise if they decide to have children or whenever they engage with uh, sexual partners, because that's an important conversation when you do get to a point with someone that you might want to engage in sex with them having that confidence to talk about your sexual histories or um, your uh, disease statuses, if you have any, or even your preferences when it comes to being in the bedroom or even just your values around Mm. sexuality. Um, By having that comfort and confidence, it will make things so much better for so many other people. Right. And something that I love that Miss Thornhill and a lot of other even, you know, sex educators also promote is that talking to your kids about sex is also a form of protection as well. And to create, establish a dialogue that kids feel like they can be open with you 
mm-hmm. in case, you know, unfortunate incidences do happen. Because a lot of times when kids are, you know, sexually, you know, maybe like sexually abused, like it's usually comes from someone that is like in an inner circle or, you know, somebody who, you know, you family members thought that they could trust or, you know, things like that. So even if you had the conversation with your kids about, you know, talking to them orally about who it is that they trust, draw them, you know, ask kids to draw pictures of people that they trust and, you know, things like that. So these were all, you know, great tips and advice um, to give to parents about how to talk to them. Have er- And these are early conversations about the nature of consent. Mm. You know, and you don't have to even use the vocabulary of consent because obviously if you're talking to a child, they don't know that, but you're learning to associate um, diagrams and illustrations and, you know, of good touch, you know, how we have the class case of good touch, bad touch, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. So you're already even associating that with them at a young age that they can actually understand, you know, we under, you know, you can teach them about what a pat, you know, like what a passive no is or what an enthusiastic, you know, yes is, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. So, it's all about, you know, retooling the language. So it doesn't, and I think that's what the hesitancy of it is. I think most times parents think that, you know, I have to, you know, be the know-all end-all and you don't, you're going to learn just as your child. Yeah, absolutely. And um, see, this, this is reminding me of a situation where um, now this is not me the critiquing her parenting style at all it was just for me working in uh, higher education and seeing the back end of parenting you know when you release them out into the world to let them explore themselves and grow and whatever bring when you release them to college and they get to be their authentic self wherever that looks like or their authentic them in that moment you tend to, that's what I, I consider the back end because you get to see exactly where the parenting has left this child, <laughs> this, mm. this, this person. And um, when I think it's, um, I don't know if it was called positive parenting or whatever, I forget, but there was, she showed us what happens whenever she says no to her daughter. And um, like, you know, she's able to keep her from, you know, know, like um, doing things that she's not supposed to do based off the way that she was talking to her. Uh, I think it's called positive talk, which I was like, okay, I like this. This is cool. That's great. Um, Now, the only issue is that when she said no to her, she just burst out into tears. Uh, She ran off, start crying in a corner and all these other things. And I was like, whoa, that does not seem like it's going to age well for this young lady. Well, this this little girl, like it does not look like it's going to age well for her because at the sound of no, it it sparks this kind, it triggers this kind of response. That doesn't seem healthy because no is... Uh, actual term that needs to be respected like no is okay to hear um Mm. so that's like when it comes to when when you know like looking into parenting styles and how you want to raise your kids I think it's important to look at how certain words affect your child and uh, make sure that if you say no they're not going to do like that. They're not going to lash out. They're not going to think of it as being such a negative thing that right. no can be accepted and still be good. Um, because if you live in a world where you have to say yes, 
in order uh other than you know if you have to say yes uh because no makes other people extremely uncomfortable then that's not a world i kind of want to live in exactly that that sounds scary (laughs) and that's something that a lot of you know sex educators promote and talk and you know having early conversations about consent with children because naturally children you know not as you know um susceptible is not the right word but you know, children are often, they do what adults tell them to do. Like, that's just the natural order of things. So, you know, um, you know, a, a lot of people say, you know, start with um, talking about what makes kids feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know, or things that they simply don't like. Now, of course, that's establishing a kind of, you know, tricky, you know, kind of thing. It's like, oh, like, like not don't say no to me if I actually go give you something to drink or, you know, like something <laughs> like that. But, you know, like, but really establishing with kids about things that, make them uncomfortable and you know because of the fact that kid you know typically when we tell kids you know to do something we expect them to do it and so what that can connotate to is that they feel like anything an adult tells them to do or entices them to do it should just be you know it shouldn't it shouldn't be questioned and so you know you just have to really you know walk you know walk that kind of tight rope into saying that yeah do what adults tell you but never be in a situation that, you know, kind of makes you uncomfortable. And of course, for kids, that's a lot, you know, that's why I'm just mm-hmm. speaking, you know, as a, you know, j- a bigger mind frame. But yeah, there, there's a lot of resources and tools that are out there that can actually help you to have the language. And I think, and I also think that for any time you're, you may run across like a YouTube channel or, you know, things like that, watch it with your kids or watch it with mm. your kids. So that way you can actually have the conversations together because especially when it comes to teenagers, because one of the classic mistakes I think that parents make is that you always assume what your child would not do when you don't know them. Like when you don't know them, like I, mm-hmm. I knew, I know a very personal story about a dad. He was very nervous. Well, not necessarily very nervous, but he had concerns about the fact that him, that his daughter was getting like involved with her boyfriend a little bit too fast, you know, like the rate that they were getting, like their relationship was going too fast. And, you know, he knows that, you know, guys typically will tell girls anything, you know, to get them into bed. And so she, he said that she actually just came right out and told him one day, like, I would never have sex with a guy just because he told me he loved me. Mm. And it almost, it didn't necessarily take him aback, but he did say like, well, no, actually, I didn't know that about her. I'm glad, you know, that she said <laughs> that. But, you know, but it's kind of like, you know, you don't know what your child, you know, what your mm-hmm. child would do, especially as they're going through, especially a big puberty age and moving into teenagehood and things like that. You don't know them. They're becoming their own person. Mm-hmm. So never assume what they would or would not do or what they would or would not tell you. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of like, but he said her saying that actually had them to have almost like a two hour conversation about just her general outlook when it comes to relationships. Mm. And he said, I never thought that I would actually have that kind of conversation with her. And it opened up, you know, so many doors to their communication. Look at know? that. So moral of the story talk to your kids <laughs> and listen to them like i, I was uh, for me um you know again being on the back end um uh, is be willing to allow your child to be them 
and not expect them to be what you think they're supposed to be, mm-hmm. how you quote, uh, quote, unquote, raise them. Because look, regardless, yes, they were in your house. Yes, you were, you know, raised them, whatever. But at the end of the day, they're still a whole different human being. They're not a miniature you. They are they are their own selves and you have to know who that is and not communicating with them and not listening to them and not respecting their boundaries. Most definitely in those pivotal teenage years is only going to um, drive them further away. than. And and also don't be afraid to share your stories. I know that that can be, that can open up some wounds, but that can also be a healing process for you as well to share some things that you've been through with your child. And it's not to say that you need to go into explicit details, of course, or anything like that. But if you know that you can maybe see like your child is maybe starting to exhibit or has some signs of a pattern that, you know, like you recognize Mm -hmm. that you had instead of like combating them and saying like, no, you can't do this or no, you can't do that. We all know the more you tell a teenager, no, the more that they're going to want to do something. But instead having conversations with them about, Hey, this is, you know, I really don't, you know, kind of care for this or like this, you know, the way that, you, that, you know, you're handling, you know, this in this situation, because this is something I went through, like, the game don't change, like, you know, age plays a part, but the game doesn't change, Thanks. you know, so, like, don't be afraid to share your stories, you know, uh, you know, to your children, because children, typically, they grow up with this idolized version of you, mm. where it's like, oh, mom and dad are perfect, you know, or whatever, they can't do no wrong, they haven't been through life and obviously we know that that's not true (laughs) so yeah so the more that you actually share with them and and relating to them on a level of not seeing not seeing them as your parent but seeing them as a man as a woman or any other you know kind of gender identity you know so I and I tell that to and I say that to like I've told that with friends all the time and like really get to a place in your life where you actually have an adult conversation with your parents, where you actually understand them, not as your mom, not as your dad, but as a man, as a woman, because you tend to learn a lot and you understand about certain things that you may be doing Mm -hmm. or things that you want to stay away from. I've had it on both ends. Certain things that have been exhibited to me, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know? Mm Mm-hmm. I will oh, yeah. I will say um this message is for my future child, our children. I don't know what's gonna that number, what that's looking like. Um, but you to that future you, I just have one thing to tell you. Your daddy was a hoe. If if I'm if you ever find a whole like I was a whole whole like a whole whole like and lived a life you know (laughs) and I lived like sometimes it was my best life too like you are a precious joy but my whole days Mm, look love you but look if I if if I'm at an age where I'm acting like I don't know myself uh you know better than thou holier than thou you have the right to slap me like motherfucker you was a hoe back in the day you better act right and i i might act right only you can do it only you can do it if it's more than y'all y'all motherfuckers better gang up on me because i'm not getting slapped by more than one motherfucker on different days (laughs) meet me meet me on the fucking courts if y'all okay anyways let me stop talking to my future children (laughs) oh god okay here we go now so 
I'm going to go completely off topic um, before we get into Never Have I Ever, because there was something that I wanted to discuss with you. Uh, and that is, uh, like I said, it's, it's completely off topic. I'm sorry, y'all. I, I, we, we've already talked about online and, um, versus traditional dating. I'm just bringing it back. It's a whole new season, whatever. Fuck y'all. I'm joking. I love y'all so much. But <laughs> the question is, is online dating less superficial than traditional dating? How do you feel? Okay. So I definitely feel that online dating can definitely be more superficial than face-to-face not to say that face-to-face you know traditional day like you know doesn't have a superficiality however I feel like in the nature of traditional dating it it can very much depend on the circumstances and how you met mm-hmm. you know that can not necessarily de-escalate but it can um there's another perspective that can be looked at so for example if for any reason like you know let's just say going to throw a random activity out there say you enjoy gardening Mm. you know you meet someone you know you have an attraction to someone that you've met at your gardening club that doesn't mean that you're not going to carry on the same conversations and things like that that you would have with someone on uh have with someone online but the fact that you met this person through a mutual interest you both share that creates a little bit more of a positive kind of establishment of a value you know, of course, with online dating, even though when we're filling out our profiles, we can answer questions about things we like and stuff like that. The very fact of most of the time you're connecting through the physical and just like swiping right on, you know, physical appearance and, you know, things like that. Um, it creates just the the outwardly persona of dating app, of online dating apps um, create that vanity or that superficiality. It doesn't have to be used for that, of course, but it does perpetuate that, that image. I get that. For me, I feel like they're at the same level. Um, The reason why I think that is like, let's say if you had a a line of 50 people in front of you and uh, kind of not necessarily like speed dating, um, but if you just out here looking at people, whatever, you just like, I'm not that one, this one, yes. It's the same aspect whenever we're walking around and looking at people, because I know a lot of people try not to do it. Well, some people don't try not to do it, but people judge quite often. And uh, we like what we like and we don't like what we don't like. And uh, uh, many times we can make somebody's entire story up without having a conversation with them and find a reason not to like that person um, versus, oh, if we find them super attractive, like if someone you see in the store and they have a suit tie and all this other stuff looking great looking sharp you're like okay this person must be in business or they got a good job all these other things they might have just come from an interview they looking great i want to approach them and talk to them and i don't see any difference in that Mm. from what you will do online the only thing is you um, don't have that immediate access to them it's more of okay if um like if they respond to the message, then we might have a mutual interest. Or if they swipe right on me as well, uh, we can build that conversation there. But we look at the surface uh, first before we really engage in that deeper thing. It's just online, it's quicker for you to do that versus you're out in person. So I I would say the, uh, like, in terms of how we 
interact with it is the same, yeah. but access to do so is what makes online right. more superficial. Absolutely. I would agree with that. I would agree with that because yeah. And that's the thing. Like I like how, um, I can't remember which CEO it was. It was for one of the dating apps. Like I like how she put into perspective one time. She's like, you know, when people complain about not, you know, finding like their matches or, you know, things like that, she's like, you know, it's all about how you're using the dating apps too. And, you know, obviously, even if you're using it for the correct things, it's like, but at the end of the day, you're the one that still entertains certain conversations. So it's like dating apps were created to create the matches. We don't create the relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, that's completely up to you. And that's why in generally speaking for the few, you know, apps that I have been a part of, the ones that I have deleted, it really has not been because of like meeting people or like the users. It's mainly because of something like going on with like the interface. I don't like particular questions that, you know, they're asking. Like I tried to get on one app recently. As soon as I created my profile, I kind of like deleted it it's, like within 24 <laughs> hours <laughs> because I didn't like the, um, I didn't like the categories of like the questioning, mm -hmm. you know, and stuff. So it had nothing to do about the actual um, people that were there. It was more so like the platform more mm -hmm. than anything, uh, because I'm not someone like, I'm not going to entertain foolishness. You know, I know foolishness exists. It mm -hmm. can exist obviously in person too, like, but that's not going to change the way I interact, you know, uh, face to face or online. I don't tolerate foolishness regardless. <laughs> so it's like, if you message me on some bullshit, you going to get ignored. If you come up to me on some bullshit, you're going to be ignored. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, like, I agree. Like, you know, no matter the, the medium or the access, like you, you know, like you say, I do agree. It's like, it's going to be the same, like, it's mm -hmm. almost the same result. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel like we... <sighs> Yeah, I, I generalize this. We as a, a society, we've added so much pressure and stigma around online dating um, just because of that, you know, lack of immediate connection or um, visual aspect of, okay, I know this is the real person I'm talking to. I get that. Catfishing happens. We, we get that. But, you know, we've stigmatized it so much in that we don't realize that regardless of online and traditional dating is still the exact same thing if you're looking to oh. find a partner and you're wanting to find a partner you can use either to do so it's just what what method is best for you to gain access to the other people like is that oh. okay let me go to church more often if i'm looking for a church man or woman or person um or let me go to the gym if i want to find somebody who's going to be in the gym wherever the the thing that you're looking for you can find that if you go in person to those spaces like you said with mutual interest with gardening or yeah. hope hope to find that on a dating app the only issue is that dating apps yeah. do not connect people often based off of their interests or if they do have interests it's only a select few interests that you cannot actually build about build upon like let's say right. oh this person is interested in, is it horticulture whatever that thing is called um mm -hmm. you're is that a uh, option of interest that i could select from like can that, right. can that be added so i can find my partner who's also into that right. same thing but, yeah and, and even for like what you would think like are your confident you know people like who have an online presence like i am particularly this happens on twitter 
I, you know, scroll through a lot of like Twitter thread discussions and like some of them have revolved around like, you know, like, do you like to like flirt in person or, you know, like go up to people in person and you and not to say be surprised, but like for a lot of people who have this kind of like confident persona online because they're able to lead with showing pictures of their body or, you know, like things like that, that you're able to filter to gain certain attention and attraction from others, they are some of the first ones to be like, oh no, I, I'm completely like shy in person. Like I would never have the courage like, to go up and actually, you know, like flirt with somebody or ask someone out or, you know, because I think a lot of what that social anxiety is, people ultimately like fear rejection. Yes. You know, and, and even like, I had to really assess like when I had my first date recently, like when I, I was surprised and I, and I use the word surprise very loosely, like, cause I've never been on a date. So I wasn't necessarily surprised, but I guess I was taken aback about the fact I had the courage to actually ask the person out. And it wasn't one of those things that, oh my God, like I was in total shock. I think the thing is, and I wasn't even having a fear of rejection, really. Like if I, you know, that person had said, no, you know, like, no, thank you or whatever. I really don't think I had a fear of that. I think my fear in the connection or the flirtation was because I can be the type of person where I can have a friendly and flirty kind of conversation with you. Mm -hmm. And it's not the fact I fear rejection. It's about the fact I fear that I may create something awkward if I misinterpret something. Mm -hmm. So it's not the fact that you will reject me. It's now like, oh, like, oh, maybe like I crossed the line here. Like, just because this was friendly and flirty banter, that doesn't necessarily mean like you're interested in me. So now I've maybe created this awkward situation. That's what would have me a little bit on edge versus just plain rejection. But, you know, but, uh, but yeah, the, the whole aspect of superficiality also is very generative. It also can be very generative because, what, you know, we all have varying levels about what we consider to be superficial mm, true. as well. So, you know, like, you know, you could see someone online that you like, let's go back to your example about like, hey, seeing that per, you know, um, you know, that person in like their suit or, you know, all decked out and things like that, no matter if it's online or in person, you may uh, have an immediately snap of judgment as to say like, oh, they probably, probably think they're better than everybody else. Mm. You know, they have like a certain aesthetic or a certain standard, just like how I know, for instance, I used to have a I used to have a bit, I, yeah, I'm going to say, yeah, I used to have a bit of a judgment before I started learning more about myself and being more body positive and things like that about people who used to take uh, just gym pictures all the time mm. and like be posting them to like their social media. I'm like, you know, I just understand like a pick or two, you know, every now and then it's okay. But like, why is it, do you like feel the need to like just show your body all the time? Mm. You know, so I really like, you know, I used to have this very prejudgment about you're just seeking attention, like, and it's attention based off of how you look. So really, what does that really say about you? Mm. You know, and I kind of had to retool that because, of course, there's still a lot of people who do that. But, you know, now, you know, learning about the fact that, you know, people do it to uplift others, you know, who may be struggling, like, with their body image. And, you know, and even to know that people who you would feel like have confident body image, they feel some of the most insecure about their own body, mm. you know, and things like that. So sometimes the things that can appear to be superficial because it's the way that it's presented, you know, may be a little bit mismatched. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, that's a that's yeah, <laughs> that's all I can say on that. But like, I will say the moral of that is just just be 
be happy. Because, um, yeah. like, even for me, whenever I go out in these streets or, you know, go to the grocery store, I, I just stop caring what other people around me is doing, wearing, and all this other <laughs> shit. I'm just like, look, if you're going to be out here, be out here and be happy. I just want the happiness happiness for all of y'all. Like, mm. just, it's too, it's too stressful I, to worry about what other people are doing. <laughs> yeah. I try to be that way, but like low key, I be judging some people. I'm so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Look, well, I cannot. You know, like, I cannot well, be on uh, your local Walmart because you up in there, like, is that burning? Let me test burning. Right. Tell him by himself. I know you did not right, walk no. out the house like that. <laughs> listen, listen. I try. I try. Like, I'm not saying like when you're going up the street to like you say the Walmart, a grocery shop, and that you gotta be all you know decked out or dressed up or whatever like but sometimes some of these some of these appearances I'm like I'm like put a question mark by like <laughs> why why <laughs> just why I feel you <laughs> and Lord forbid if you have children and Lord forbid if you have children with you like sometimes the shorts they may be a little bit too short sometimes you know I'm just like I be questioning certain things and I'm like it's not to pass judgment on you as a person but I'm like you could have got yourself a little bit more together than that right <laughs> see this is why I, I wish we still lived in a society where you can pull a friend aside or pull a stranger pull your neighbor to you yeah. they neighbor <laughs> and have a conversation i miss those days y'all yeah. if you if you here in the the holiloquy church tonight turn to your left and say neighbor neighbor you could have done a little bit you could have done yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah so i'm not even i'm not even as you know like people say like i'm not even gonna cap i try not to but it's like certain fights i'll see and i just be like mm, question mark <laughs> Lord. and of course this has nothing to do about people's like personal style and you know mm. things like that i'm just talking about things that just to me sometimes just be looking a hot man i feel you so. all right so <laughs> uh we're probably just going to do one um uh this is for never have i ever never have i ever kicked someone out right after sex i've never done it mm. And most of the times because I'm over by either someone else's place or we're in a mutual space. So I've never actually been intimate with somebody in my own personal space to actually kick them out. What? Oh, let's see. I, I I have. I have. It was more of, okay, look, it's time for you to go. Not like we've been having great conversation. It's just like, you know why you came here. So you came here. You did what I thought was supposed to be done or you really didn't. Whatever the case is. Look, most yeah. of the times if you're getting like booted on out the door, you did not do what you needed to do. Just be real. But you came over. We did something. And you got to go ahead and go. Uh, it's time for me to go to sleep. Yeah. Uh, nope. Uh, you're not staying here for this conversation. No aftercare for you. But this is before I started to provide aftercare after sex. Mm. But yeah, there was a point where I was just like, okay, it's time for you to go. Thank you. Go. There's no you know, uh, one of my favorite thing in the context of that, uh, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know anything about the show, LA's Finest, just click off for a little bit of about 15 seconds <laughs> really quickly the show la's finest was a show on spectrum that starred gabriel union the actress of gabriel union and jessica album mm -hmm. and gabriel had the funny one of the funniest kind of like after like after sex things to happen she plays a character where you know she's this badass you know kick-ass detective 
And, you know, she has problems with, you know, people staying over, like, after they've been intimate. So she literally sets up to-go cups in the morning. morning. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yes. She literally sets up to-go cups, like, because she likes her coffee in the morning and things like that. But she literally has a to-go cup sitting right there for (laughs) (laughs) And literally, there was a scene where somebody she had been intimate with, like, She's like, she's looking at, she's looking at the person like, are you like not understanding the process? Like I've set this up. Like, why are you still here? <laughs> but really though, like was, I understand the assignment. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was, it was the funniest thing. I like her style. Cause look, I, not too many times I'll allow somebody to sleep in the same bed as me. Like that's, mm. that's when I actually might want to go further with, with the person mm-hmm. or I love their energy so much like if it's a regular I like their energy enough that we can lay in the bed and cuddle and all this other stuff because you know might as well but if it's like some something casual even if it is somebody I've hooked up with in the past right you got to get up and go you, you should know yeah, you know that's the thing like I wonder like if I'll have like a different you know, experience like moving into my 30s when I'm like going to have my own place and things like that. Because the thing about me is that after I've been like intimate with somebody and like, say, for instance, it's been overnight, like I will have that thing about because I have like, like separation, like when I'm having when I've like been out for the night or I haven't been home or whatever, like it's like, I get a little antsy, like I want to go, you know, so it's like, it's not to say I haven't enjoyed my time, very much have enjoyed the time, but it's like, I'm ready to go. So it's like, I'll have like these awkward stares in like the morning, like just staring at the ceiling, like questioning, like, should I wake the person up? Like, should I just like create like a fake alarm that goes off? Like, cause it's like, <laughs> like, like, wake your ass up. Like, I'm <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> but really though, like, really like these, these, this, important this is important like what do you do the next morning you know i feel like that should be a thread what do you do the morning after yeah, sex? the morning after <laughs> for those who are on these streets what do you yeah. do the morning after other than please. taking a pill yeah please <laughs> post it in the comments because a brother like me needs to know because i just did, i really be laying up there like looking awkward as hell <laughs> look because like, i don't know what to do with my like if 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 it's somebody like I said earlier, if it's somebody who I'm comfortable with, I know at least in the morning time, we'll probably have a conversation before you know they leave or whatever. Mm-hmm. Might watch a TV show, <clears throat> but if it's somebody that I'm just like, okay, we have great energy because like you could sleep here is late, whatever. There's a point I'm just like, mm-hmm. it's seven o'clock. I'm surprised I woke up this early my body was saying you know get this motherfucker out okay so what are we doing (laughs) i'm going back to sleep and you're leaving what you got won't he do it (laughs) yeah oh god so tyrell thank you so much for being on the podcast lovely as always do you have any words that you would like to you know share with the um, listeners any last tips anything like that what you gotta say Oh, just two things since we talked about, you know, two very different topics. I'm like, you know, as much as it it can be hard to do, like, don't always blame the dating app. Blame the dating patterns. Mm. Um, So, you know, a little bit of a word. 
And two, I'll, obviously, as we've been talking about the kitties, the kiddos, the munchkins, however you want to, you know, categorize them, you know, just, you know, examine yourself and how you were socialized about conversations around sex and intimacy and figure out just, you know, how you feel like you can do better. And again, there are all types of resources out there for you. See, I love that. That's what you call criticism because he definitely read somebody fulfilled and then gave, um, you know, some some uh, constructive feedback or, you know, engaging with your children and things like this man literally said, blame the fucking dating pattern. If you don't get what the, he is telling you, it's your fault. Like, literally. Blame the dating pattern? Oh, my God. <laughs> I fucks with it. <laughs> like, y'all, I, I was stuck for a second because I was like, ooh. And I kind of felt so type of way because I'm like, you know, it, I could, I, I needed that word because some, I don't blame the dating app. I do be like, these motherfuckers is just motherfuckering out here and it's just too much. These streets is crazy. And then at the same time, I also realized, but you're the one who's putting yourself in these situations too with these motherfuckers. So be real. That part I'm real about because I know what I do want and what I don't want. But that was not an attack on me. That was a tackle somebody, and I felt <laughs> for you. <laughs> Damn, he said, "Blame the dating." Look, look, I'm just, and look, I'm gonna just say, like the the problem can't just be everybody else. Boo. Amen to that. But that's a word. That was two words, y'all. Definitely, yeah. I know I only stuck on the dating pattern thing, but the parenting advice, yes, yes. Who got again? Thank you so much, Terrell, for being on the podcast and reading motherfuckers' filth. <laughs> Always, like I say, I'm here to drop these gems in my golden year. Like you know, I'm gonna this, just put it out there. This is okay. I guess what I know what's going to be happening for the next year. This mofo is like, you know what? I'm going in my thirties. I got the hands. What? What the fuck up? Right. <laughs> like, stare the truth in the face. Stare, stare at the truth. Call like, spade a spade. Yeah. And listeners, thank y'all so much for listening to the Holiloquy podcast, where we step out and speak on sexuality. Just in case no one else told you this today, you are beautiful. You are worthy of happiness and joy. You are enough, and then some. You may not live up to the expectations of others, but that is okay. You are only required to walk in your own shoes. May each day you live lead you towards abundance. With that said, love you all, and see you next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Holiloquy Podcast, where we step out and speak on sexuality. You can subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcasting app and find us on the web at www.holiloquy.com. That's www.h-e-a-u-x-l-i-l-o-q-u-y.com. Share the podcast with your friends and join the conversation.